So today we get to launch out uh, in our efforts to become a church that is great at caring for vulnerable children. Something that I'm really excited to share with you. Um, I think that this perhaps might be the most important uh, sermon that I've ever preached, a uh, lesson I've ever taught, not just because of the topic today and not just because of the part where, where it intersects with my story or the passion that I have for it, uh, but because this isn't just a one-time thing for us. This is something that uh, we see as the start of something for us, the start of a movement for us that five, ten years down the road is going to become a defining feature of who we want to become as a church. We want to be a fantastic church for vulnerable children in our community and in our world. So I'm really excited about this today. Uh, I feel a little sheepish in talking about this topic um, because I know there's so many here uh, that have committed their life to caring for vulnerable children in different ways. Uh, and that's not the story of my life. Uh, until very recently, uh, I failed to see the goodness in it. Uh, I missed it on so many levels, so I'm so thankful for those in here that have had the eyes to see more clearly than I have. My story is uh, similar to some of my favorite movies, uh, which I'm realizing now the older I get, like the more like they're like old movies, <laughs> like classic movies, which makes me feel old. Uh, but I really was into uh, M. Night Shyamalan's movies back in the day. So you had Sixth Sense, which was kind of one of the big breakout ones, and then Unbreakable and Signs and The Village. And I love those movies because all those movies you go through uh, and then they have like this really twist surprise ending at the end. But it's not just the surprise ending. It's what's going on the entire time you're watching it, right? That you're watching this movie and you're realizing there's something unsettling going on. You know there's something more to the picture, but you don't really know what it is. You can't see it very clearly. It's like you're falling through the water and your feet are reaching out scrambling just trying to find the bottom so you can have that little bit of gravity to give you bearings so that you can see where you're going, you know where you're at, and you can see everything clearly. And in the movies it goes through with that, that uneasy, uncertain, lost your bearings feelings until it gets to the end and that in surprise moment you get that moment of gravity where everything becomes clear and you see where you're at and you see what the world is around you. You see what the whole point of the movie was about. And though it's a surprise at the end, you go back and you rewatch the movies and you realize that it was there the entire time. You, how, you, how did you miss all of that stuff that was there through the movie? But that's the story, is that you miss it. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it. You have those moments of gravity at times in life. And that's my story. As I was going through life with regards to this issue, I was going through life, I was living life, I thought I understood it, but I really understood so very little. And it, I needed some gravity in my life to get a hold of me and give me the perspective that I needed. So today I'm going to introduce you uh, to this point of gravity in my life, which is my daughter. Can you welcome my daughter up to the stage to share with us? Okay, come on up. She is so brave. I'm so proud of her. All right, here, we'll set you up here, and then I'm going to grab the microphone. All right, and jump. Boom. There you go. All right. Here we go. Looking good. You feeling good? Yeah. How you feel? Good. Good. Are you nervous? A little bit? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. All right, can you tell everybody what your name is? Michaela. Yeah, that's a pretty name. Uh, how old are you? Three. Are you, you're almost four, right? Yeah, you're going to have a birthday? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, do you go to school? Tell us about school. We go to Marquette School. Marquette School, yeah. Who's your teacher? Mrs. V. Yeah. Mrs. V, who is a part of the church family here, right? You see her around here every so often? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Hey. Yeah. 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 Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? A mermaid. A mermaid, yeah. <laughs> this girl dreams big. It's awesome. Yeah. How, do, how are you going to become a mermaid? From Jesus. <laughs> yeah. There we go. We, we had a, she was in the preschool class like a couple months back, and they were talking, and she came home, and she said, Mom and Dad, did you know that with Jesus, we can be anything we want when we grow up? I said, yes, you can. What are you going to be? And she decided it was a mermaid, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Tell us about your family. Who's in your family? Daddy, Mommy, and Callie, and Sophie. Yeah, did you almost forget Sophie's name? No, okay. That's good. That's good because you share a room with her. That would get awkward, right? All right. Um, what is your favorite thing? Yeah, there's people over there too, isn't there? What's your favorite thing to do with mommy? Play Barbies. Yeah, Barbies are great. What, how about daddy? What's your favorite thing to do with daddy? Play Mario. Mario, yeah. <laughs> She's really good at Mario. I'll tell you that much. Uh, all right, last question. The same question I ask you all the time every day which is, what's the question, do you know? Uh, Who loves you? Daddy and Callie and Mommy and Mommy. And Sophie? And Sophie <laughs> yeah, and there we go. All right, good job. You can get down, baby. Thank you. Ah. Thanks, baby. You want to go back with Callie? All right, she is absolutely amazing. Um... Yeah, she's going to go to class. I, that girl changed my life, I tell you what, um, and continues to on a daily basis. Because, like I said, I don't see things really clearly sometimes. Um, so I need these moments in my life where God really gets a hold of me. And Mickey has been that for me. Um, I remember the first time I met her, we got a phone call. Uh, we, we were foster parents at the time. Uh, but we weren't really sure what we wanted to do with that, if we were ready to move forward. Uh, we got a call from our caseworker, and she says to us, she says, hey, guys, um, there's this girl who's 15 months old, and she needs a place to go, and she's really great, but her family has let us know uh, that they don't have the capacity to care for her anymore, and so she just has no one left. There's no one for this little girl. Uh, is there any way that you guys would... Uh, consider having her live with you permanently. Uh, and so we prayed about it and still just didn't know. Uh, those are big decisions. Uh, but we said we'd go out and we'd meet her. And so I remember driving across town uh, that first time to, to just meet her and see and getting to the house where she was at and opening the door and walking in and there she was standing there. Uh, I have a picture of the first day that we met her. Yeah, that was, that was like a half an hour after I met her for the first time. But I walked in the room where she was standing, and she had a sippy cup of juice in her mouth. With she, no hands, just, just holding onto it by her mouth for easier access, which is amazing. Uh, and I remember looking at her and just falling in love and realizing that girl's going to be my daughter. Um, she's amazing. I don't understand how there's a world with enough pain that children like this who are as brilliant and thoughtful and beautiful end up needing uh, families, but it happens. And I'm so thankful for Michaela because I almost missed it. I almost missed it. 
today, we're going to look at James chapter 1, which was in those verses that we read. James chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, but before we get into it, I want to say this. Um, when I was thinking about preaching this sermon today, teaching, uh, it was something that I was thinking through, and I was like, oh, I'll give kind of like the theology behind why this is important for us to, to care for vulnerable children. And then as I was working on it, thinking about it, I was like, we don't need to get theology behind why we should care for vulnerable children, right? Like, it's pretty basic teaching of Jesus that we should love our neighbors, right? And if these children are our neighbors and these children need love, then we should love them, right? And really, it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. We are to love our neighbors and there are kids who need love and we've got to find ways to love them. So we're not going to get into that what I do want to get into is I want to get into this passage not because we need it for motivation to love but because I didn't just miss these passages I didn't realize how central they are to the whole thing I missed it um, it's like I've been watching the movie my whole life and then not getting the picture until the surprise ending that shouldn't have been a surprise at all right so growing up uh, I, I was a pastor's kid and appreciated that experience. So I was in church all the time, you know, and as a kid in church all the time, you're bored, so you're reading through the Bible, uh, you know, uh, just trying to find something to do. Um, so I, you know, pretty much read it cover to cover and knew, I knew about passages like this that told us to look out for uh, orphans and widows and their distress. Like, I knew about that, uh, but it always seemed kind of like this side thing, uh, that some people did, right? That some people who are really good Christians who are motivated by their faith might do something like this. But, but the, the only important thing was really just about what God was doing in our hearts and, you know, getting out of hell and making sure that we go to heaven. That was the story that I understood. That was the story that I embraced. And so stuff like this was just always on the side and I was missing the entire point. But as I want us to look at it this morning, I want us to know that passages like this are not just on the, the boundaries of Christianity. They're not just the add-on projects. Passages like this are at the very core of the work that God is doing in the world and how we intersect with that. James 1.27 tells us, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So it starts off there, religion that God accepts. Okay, when it's talking about religion there, it's talking about the actions, right? So religion in general is the actions that someone does in order to please or imitate or follow their gods, right? That is what religion and religious action is. In this case, it's talking about uh, the story that we see throughout all of Scripture about the God that we see in Scripture and Jesus, right? So the whole story of Jesus, the whole story of God is saying that the acts that follow along with that story, the acts that walk in the footsteps of that story, the acts that show response to that story, the best activity that shows most essential to what this story is about is to look after orphans and widows. Right here from the very beginning, we see the claim from James, who is the brother of Jesus, that this is at the very center of it. And we'll see more why later. It's not just something on the edges. Uh, so the 
religion that is pure and flawless is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress. Okay, let's talk some about orphans and widows. You know, because we have some experience with orphans and widows in our society today, but what was it like for them back then? Well, first of all, orphans and widows were people that didn't have family. And that might seem obvious because that's kind of like built into the definition of what an orphan and widow is. Uh, Orphans are children without parents. Widows are uh, spouses without their spouse, right? Um, Often in those times, particularly women without spouses, right? So already there are people that have had family taken away from them. But we know that if they continue in the status of being an orphan or a widow, there are some other things going on. Because what we know from reading through the Jewish culture and through the scriptures is that there was plans in place for people to not be orphans and widows, right? And the plan was that if you were widowed, your spouse died, there was somebody else in the family that had a responsibility to marry you, right? So, so that people just didn't go uh, without family. They didn't go without that support system, right? So for somebody to be an ongoing widow, Uh, means not only did their spouse die, but it means that the system that's set up in place uh, means that whoever else in the family that's supposed to be there for them isn't there for them either, right? And the same with children, okay? There was responsibilities built into their cultural systems that when children didn't have parents anymore, there were other people that were assigned to look after them. And if they remained in the status of being an orphan over time, it means that there was nobody else stepping up to that responsibility, So orphans and widows are people without family, not just their immediate nuclear family, but people without the broader support systems of family. They were lacking in the deeper ways. The other thing we know uh, on a similar line is that orphans and widows were people that had nothing to offer. Do, Do you know why we know that? Because the people who did have something to offer still got picked up uh, in spite of the fact that they may not have had a family. If you were a woman who was uh, widowed and you still were young and healthy and of childbearing capabilities, uh, then somebody would pick you up and add, them, add you to their family because you had something to offer them. See, family back then wasn't about love or genetics as much as it was about economy at times, right? About surviving together as a group. And so if you had something to offer the world, there was somebody out there that would want your assets on their team if you will, right? And the same with children. Oftentimes, boys could still get picked up into another family because they could be strong or they could be fighters. They had something perhaps to offer the world. And so we know that the ones who are left behind, not only did they not have the family systems and the community systems in place, but they also didn't have anything to offer other people who would care for them because if they did have something, they wouldn't still be in the situations that they're in. They didn't have family communities. They didn't have anything to offer. And finally, we know that these people were extremely vulnerable. You know, they didn't have a free market system back then. It's not like if you were out on your own, you could go get a job at a factory or at a Taco Bell and try and make ends meet and, uh, you know, try and start your own business or something like that. That's not how it worked, right? You worked a family business. You worked together uh, with the people that you were with, that you were a part of their family. So if you were in this system uh, and you didn't have that family to take care of you, you didn't have much ability to be able to survive. You couldn't go out there on your own and just make it happen because there simply weren't opportunities for that kind of thing. You needed family. You needed somebody to let you in. Just, we'll come back to that in just a second. All right. Um, can we go back to that verse real quick? 
All right, so we're talking about uh, orphans and widows and their distress. But the other part that I want to focus on is what does it mean to look after orphans and widows and their distress? What does it mean to look after them and to care for them? Well, the interesting thing is it's not something that happens out of kind of the extra that people had back then because people didn't simply have extra back then because family was about economy. It was about surviving and making it and profiting together as a group. Uh, you had as many children as you could afford or as you could health, uh, have according to your health and fertility. You had kids because the more kids you had, the more uh, you could work, the more work you could get together and the more you could survive together, right? So everybody had as many kids as they could possibly have. So who is being asked to care? The people that have just extra sitting around? That wasn't really a reality. So who is being asked to care is everybody who's already filled to the max. So to care for the orphans and widows and the distressed was necessarily an act of sacrifice. It was making your family less efficient or less stable in an effort to show love and compassion to somebody else who needed it. It was a sacrifice. And so this makes sense as we look at the big picture. Why is this so central to the message of the good news and the story of God and Jesus? It's because this is the story of how that love works, right? That we extend love to people who may be lacking. We extend love to people who may be vulnerable who don't have much to offer, and we extend that love at a great sacrifice because that's exactly how we see throughout Scripture the story of God shown through Jesus works for us. Right? We're told that God put his goodness into each and every one of us from the beginning, and that's how we're to see each other. We're told that no matter what our story is, no matter how flawed we become, no matter how self-destructive, when we're in those worst moments that we don't want anybody to know what we're doing or what we're going through, uh, we're told that in those moments, in the middle of our difficult times, our destructive times, the, that's the moments in which Christ died for us, right? Knowing who we are, knowing what we're going through. We are those vulnerable ones in the story of a God who sacrifices to love us. So if we're gonna be people that like walk out that story and say, okay, that's the story, that's who God is, that's what it means to, to, to imitate him, that's what it means to walk with him, then we realize that we are the recipients of sacrificial love. And the way that we move into that is extending that sacrificial love to others, those people who perhaps need it most. There's a possible, there, there's a variety of ways that this plays out, right? The, the variety of ways this passage about caring for those who are vulnerable, uh, orphans and widows in their distress. Maybe it's uh, in your neighborhood. Maybe you have uh, an older couple or an individual that lives next door to you who their family has left them behind, who uh, whether, whether by moving or through death or through conflict, they find themselves alone uh, in this world. You know, how can we look out for them? How can we extend the love of our families that we received? How can we extend that to them, even in a way that's sacrificial? So maybe it's that reaching out to them. Maybe it's reaching out to uh, people who are far away from home, whether that's college students that find themselves far away from home and without support systems, or whether that's refugees that are fleeing war-torn lands just looking for safety and survival for their families, right? Who are the people that are vulnerable and what are the ways that we can extend this love and the ways that we receive it in the story of our God?
But this morning, we're primarily talking about caring for vulnerable children. What does it mean for us as a people? What does it mean for us as a church to see the children in our community who are vulnerable and to say we're going to take action to show sacrificial love to do something about that? That's the journey we're heading on, but if I'm honest, that's the journey I resisted for most of my life. Uh, not only did I like, not ever want to be a foster parent, I like, actively wanted to not be a foster parent. Uh, that's, part of it was that, again, I didn't see, it wasn't central to my faith understanding. Part of it was like I just never saw like, good examples of it, right? It, it just wasn't like a common reality that we thought about. Part of it was like, I don't really like kids that much. <laughs> I mean, I like my kids. Like, I, I sincerely mean that, Callie. I like... <laughs> I like my kids, um, but just in general, I'm not a kid person. So thinking it like, and like in our life, right, like we had gotten, we'd just gotten through like the baby stage with our kids, like when we started having this coming, and like I was finally finding sanity again for the first time. Yeah, if you've been parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like there's those seasons that are dark. Uh, <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> yeah. So I was trying not to become this and I was resisting it and I'd missed it all throughout the story. Um, and we were sitting there at the church I was at before this at Keller Park Church, which is amazing, um, by the way. So, and we were just trying to learn together about what it meant to be family. We were talking about what it means to be family. In the middle of one of my lessons one Sunday, one of my friends is sitting in a crowd and he's sitting there um, with a five-year-old girl from the neighborhood and we had kids that would just walk down uh, on their own without parents that would just walk down w to be there with us. And so he's sitting with this girl uh, and we're talking about family uh, on the stage and she looks up at him and she simply says, wait, are you my daddy? And in that moment, things changed, right? In that moment, like, genetics didn't mean anything. Culture and race and any uh, economics didn't mean anything. It was all just about love shared between two people who needed it. And from that, their world was rocked, uh, and they became foster parents out of that conversation and then adoptive parents, and now I've done that a couple times. Um, and then... The rest of us in that community, it's like we'd seen the surprise ending to the movie. And it's like, yeah, that's it. That is what this has all been about. This is a great practice of this thing that we say is at a core. And so we started seeing foster care and adoption start spreading through our little church. Uh, and even then I resisted. Like, honestly, I was scared, man. I didn't want to add any more kids into my life. Uh, but my wife, uh, thankful for her grace and her patience with me, uh, she was praying about it, and I said, all right, like, I'll go through the classes, we'll do that whole thing, you know, but I still get the right to say no at the end, right? Like, I'll do the classes if I can still say no and pull the plug on this thing. So we started doing that um, and going through that journey together, and we finished the licensing process, and I was still a little uncertain. The kids went to school one day, and we get a phone call, and the phone call said, hey, there's a six-month-old little girl who's got some burns on her who just needs a safe place to be right now. Can she stay with you guys? Um, and I couldn't say no. We said yes. I remember the first day I met her. This is uh, 
Baby Z. And Baby Z, they said, uh, just bring a car seat and come to the office and pick up the baby. And so we did, and the kids were at school, and it was just this weird feeling. I remember bringing her home and sitting her in the center of our floor and just thinking, there's like a human baby in my floor uh, where yesterday there wasn't. And I remember thinking, my kids are going to come home from school today, and it's going to be like, instead of like, surprise, it's a puppy, it's like, surprise, it's a human being. (laughs) You know, uh, I didn't know what to expect from them. As scared as I was by the end of the night, rocking her to put her to sleep, everything made sense. Everything made sense. Uh, Baby Z, or our Z-Bear, became a part of our family right away, as real as any part of our family could ever be. Uh, So Z was with us for six months, and her mom put a lot of great work in and was able to be reunified, which is really wonderful. Uh, But it was difficult for us. We got a call from the court that we were supposed to show up there at 1 o'clock for a talk, and we show up at 1 o'clock that day, and we were told that she was being reunified and had to have her delivered by 4 o'clock. So I had three hours to go home and tell my family and pick her up and put her and all her toys in the car and drive her across town uh, to hand her to her mom. And as we walked away back to the car, she's, you know, leaning for us and crying not realizing she wouldn't see us again and likely both the other way. Um, And we drove away that day and it was just silence in the car and we were crying. My two daughters, Callie, who's the oldest uh, there, who was nine at the time and Sophie was seven. And we were crying and my wife, after a little bit, said to the girl, she said, hey, uh, it hurts, right? And they said, yeah, yeah, it does. And she said, was it worth it? And they said, absolutely, let's do it again. And it's that, those moments that things become a lot more clear, right? Uh, Somebody said after the first gathering, so many times we think the kids need saved, but they're the ones that end up saving us. It's life-changing, but it's also difficult, right? And we need to be honest about the fact that it can be really difficult. They're not all as, uh, not every kid is as cute and wonderful as Michaela and Zaniah. Um, But even when it's difficult, it's still worth it, right? And even if it's difficult, if, if you're a kid in that situation where you need somebody to help in some safe place, like who would you turn to if not followers of a religion that's all about a God who sacrificially loves someone no matter what they're going through, no matter what challenges. If not the church, then who? I'm so thankful for Michaela and Zania. Uh, I want to let you know some of the reality of the situation. Here in Indiana, we are in the middle of an opiate crisis, right, that continues to grow. So these stats are growing at quick amounts. This last year, nearly one in six babies in Indiana was born with opiates in their system. One in six, which is 50% more than the national average in rising. In Indiana, we have a problem. Overall, Indiana has double the amounts of kids per capita needing foster care compared to the national average. In just one month last year, in May of 2017, 250 children in our county alone needed placed outside of their home due to unsafe living conditions. We have to see these things and say, this is unacceptable. No more of this. Not in our city, not without action. 
We've got to do something about this crisis. Though the number of children in crisis continues to grow, the number of foster homes has been on the decline. The Department of Children's Services reports that there's only 81 licensed foster care homes in all of St. Joe County, down from an average of 120 previously. So they're down on the amount of homes in the county that are capable of taking care of the increasing amount of kids. But beyond that, think about these 81 homes. Many of those licensed foster care homes are actually actively caring for relative placements, right? Their own family members who have been placed with them out of need. So they're not necessarily open to taking just any kid that comes along. So that takes the 81 down a little bit. Also, we know that the unfortunate statistic is that not everybody who gets into foster care, foster parenting does so uh, with proper tools and with proper motives. Uh, recent st studies have suggested that upwards of 25% of one in four children in foster care continues to be abused in foster care. So of these 81 homes, that doesn't mean all of them are safe, loving, quality situations for children to be in either. This creates a massive shortage in opportunities for children. And because of that massive shortage, children are being pulled out of homes and there's no safe place for them to go, and so they're being sent back into unsafe situations just out of no possibility of a place for them to go. We have to hear these stats and say that that's unacceptable. No more of this, not in our city, not without action. There's a thing called CASAs, which are court-appointed special advocates uh, that are volunteers that just simply spend their time volunteering, right? And what a CASA does is uh, when a court case happens, when a child goes before a judge, when their case is heard to decide what goes on with them, um, everybody in the room has an agenda that they're representing, right? So the state is there and they have their opinion and their agenda and their lawyers representing that opinion, right? The biological parents are there and they have their agenda and they have their lawyers that are representing them. The foster parents are there and they have their agenda and they maybe have lawyers representing them. But who is there to represent the desires of the children or the true unadulterated uh, agenda that the kids would have for themselves? And that's what a CASA does. CASAs are the people that stand in the courtroom and they say, wait a second, you guys are all making plans here, but these are not plans that are good for the kid. They may be good for all of you, but they're not for the kid and they provide a voice for the children in the courtroom. It's a volunteer role and it's so important. If you've talked to any foster families, the importance of having a CASA is so critical to making sure that this child gets the best result for them. Currently, there are 110 CASA volunteers with 482 more kids on the waiting list. There's a massive shortage. We have to see those things and say no more, not in our city, not without action. And finally, stats have suggested that there's 130 million orphans worldwide. Kids out there, not necessarily in safe environments, certainly lacking the safety and support of a family no more, not in our world, not without action. As a church, this is the beginning for us. Again, like I said, this is something that we expect to work hard at, not just today, but over the next five and 10 years. And we hope that as a church, this becomes something that we become great at how we love and care for those who are vulnerable in our city and in our world. We have some action steps today 
if you pull out your card, you can see those. I don't know if you got these cards when you walked in. If not, there's cards when you walk out. These are three practical action steps. Let me say this. Uh, this there are so many things you can do to care in this situation. There's so many things you could do. These are just three to start. I had like a list of seven that I was originally going to bring this morning, and I was like, all right, we got to pare it back a little bit, you know, like there's going to be months ahead, there will be more sermons ahead, and we can just like add more action steps along the way. So this is just the beginning for us. But I would ask that you consider where this might fit for you into this. The first thing there is become a foster or adoptive parent. Like we're just going to ask that you consider that, that you would really think about it. Beside there, there's... Uh, I have these little icons to help us. There's uh, the time one and then a money and time one. So the time one, becoming a foster parent actually doesn't cost anything because uh, there are financial resources that come along with the children. Um, so it's not like you're, you're having to spend a lot of money. Uh, there is resources that come there. So mainly to be a foster parent, you're investing your time and your emotions and your energy and all that. Uh, to be an adoptive parent, uh, sometimes that, that if you're going through the state, that's sometimes a free process as well or mostly free, but if you're doing like adoption through an agency or international adoption, sometimes those can cost upwards of tens of thousands of dollars, right, to be able to adopt in those situations. So it might take uh, you investing uh, financially in some way. If you have any curiosity about this whatsoever, I invite you to attend our workshop we're hosting on February 18th, which is two Sundays from now, from 6 to 8 p.m. There's going to be child care. Uh, if you RSVP and let us know what kids are coming, uh, we'll have child care for your kids, so you have every opportunity to be here. This is not like you signing up to like take on a kid forever. This is just the initial starting process. If you've had any stirring, any interest, any inkling whatsoever, come and listen. We're going to have a, a DCS caseworker, a former DCS caseworker there. We're going to have uh, foster parents. We're going to have adoptive parents, international adoptive parents. Uh, we're going to have a wide variety. We're just going to have a panel. We're going to do some Q&A, right, where you can ask all those stupid questions that you've ever wanted to ask, uh, even about, like, taxes and finances or clothes or, like, all that kind of stuff. Ask any question and just come and learn. Let me say this, too, as we talk about becoming a foster adoptive parent. Um, we're just looking for safe, loving people, Right, and so there may be ways that you've told yourself of like what the ideal foster parent is or what the ideal adoptive parent is. Uh, we're at way beyond looking at ideal right now according to whatever picture you've drawn for yourself. Right, what we need is loving, caring people. So maybe that means you're single and you've uh, just wondered about this but you're waiting until life's at a more perfect time. Maybe there's other labels that you or other people have put on yourself that you think disqualify you. I guarantee you they probably don't. So whoever you are, whatever your story is, I invite you to consider this. And if you have questions, please attend the workshop. Uh, there's info on the workshop on our Facebook page. Uh, you can see the event on there, and it will be coming on our church website soon. Second, um, if you realize that the parenting route isn't a, a route for you right now, you can invest your money uh, and you can perhaps create a savings fund to help for families that are pursuing adoption, right? So maybe you just put a little money in there over time, and then when you hear of another family that says, hey, uh, we don't have the money to adopt, but we have, we have the ability to take someone else in our family, then you say like, hey, I don't have the ability to take another child, but here's the money to like make sure it happens, right? And that we're working together, all of us with our own stories and our own capabilities, we're working together to make stuff happen. So maybe you start a savings account. Uh, finally, uh, if you don't have 
money or the ability to be parents, uh, you can volunteer as a CASA. This is really great. Uh, for a little bit of time, you can make a great impact. There is a website there to get info in the application, but even better, uh, thankfully, Jen uh, from the local CASA training center is back just behind that curtain over there and would love to talk to you afterwards. You can get information from here. You can sign up to get more information in the future just by talking to Jen afterwards. So lots of opportunities for us. Uh, as a team comes uh, to give us one last chance to process, I just want you to think about what action might be there for you. Maybe it's one that's on this card, maybe it's one that's not, but what action might you be able to take as we work to become a church that's great for vulnerable children? as we close I don't know what that did for you guys but just really deeply moved and challenged me and I know I've got a lot to think about a lot to pray about the one thing I know after hearing that is that apathy is no longer an option that together we have to do something Let's close with this chorus that we learn as we sing these words. Uh, let's sing them from the depths of our heart. We are the love of Jesus, the hope for the broken. We are His children, reaching out only the love. encouraged with the knowledge that you have a God who sees you as you are uh, at all points in times and as he sees you there in your most vulnerable moments he pours out to love you even at great sacrifice as you go this week may grace and peace be with you
Have a great day. Feel free to talk to Jen.